So we're now on week five of the Apostles' Creed. So would you stand with me, as we've been doing every week, and we'll do till the end of this series, and recite what the church has been reciting for over a thousand years, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Father God, we ask that you would move this morning. Father, may it be your truth that's communicated. Father, may we study the scriptures. May our truth come from scripture alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we're now in week five of the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to look at the statement, the phrase, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. But before we get to that, before we look at the crucified, dead, and buried, we have to ask ourselves the question of who is the person that suffered under Pontius Pilate? Well, if you go back a little earlier in the creed, we see it as Jesus Christ, his only son. Whose only son? God's only son. He's our Lord. And last week we looked at how Jesus was the God-man, right? 100% God, 100% man. He is the one that we are talking about this morning. And maybe you uh, have missed the past couple of weeks, or, or maybe you're new to church in general and you don't really understand who Jesus is. Let me encourage you, go check out our podcast the last couple of weeks, because we've talked a lot about who this Jesus person really is. John 18. Would you turn there with me this morning if you have your Bibles with you? Otherwise, you can follow on the screen with me. John 18, we're going to look at 33, and we're actually going to read through 19. Verse 16. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him the question that philosophers and theologians have been asking for years and years and years. What is truth? That statement in and of itself is a sermon, but we don't have time to 
treat it as such this morning. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told him, I find no guilt in him. This is the first time where Pilate comes out to those who had brought Jesus to him and says, listen, this guy is not guilty. Not I find a little bit of guilt in him or, or I, can, I can find a reason. Here he, he says, I, I find no guilt in this man. There was something going on in, in Pilate's heart where he realized Jesus was not guilty. He says, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And the crowd, they cried out again, not this man, <coughs> but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you might know that I find no guilt in him. Again, listen, there's no guilt in this man. You're coming and you're asking me to do this, but, but he's not guilty. I don't want to be the one to sentence him. Basically, is, is what we see Pilate trying to say. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to him, Behold the man. When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Again, Pilate's trying to figure out a way to release Jesus. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramic Gabbath. Now it was time in the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over. He delivered him over to them to be crucified. Now Jesus has been arrested. And he's now with Pilate, and, and, and Pilate has the authority to impose capital punishment on Jesus. And that's what the Jews are hoping for. They don't want to be the ones who have actually said, listen, he needs to be killed. We don't have the authority to do that. You do, Pilate. You do it. Pontius Pilate is an important person in history, and sometimes we skip over him when we get to the crucifixion story. But he plays a key role in this whole thing. We actually know a little bit about Pontius Pilate outside of what the scriptures say from different historians like Josephus or Philo. Philo writes this. He said that Pilate basically was known for briberies, insults, robberies, outrages, and wants and injuries. 
executions without trial, constantly repeated, ceaseless, and supremely grievous cruelty. Here we see someone who is known for being a terrible leader. A horrible person. Yet there's something, even though he's known for executions without trial, there's something about this Jesus person that he doesn't just want to say, take him and crucify him. Pilate is the exact example of a corrupt politician. He's more concerned about himself than he is about anybody else. Than about what's doing what's right. We see this, this person who is conflicted inside. There, there's something about you, Jesus. I don't know what it is. So, so you know what? I'm just gonna, I don't find any guilt in him. No, crucify him. All right, well, I'll take him back again. <laughs> you know, I, I don't find no guilt in him. Crucify him. I'll take him back again. Until it gets to the point where Pilate knows that he's executed an innocent Sometimes we can be like Pilate, can't we, in life? It, it, it's kind of, it's ironic, really, that Pilate looks at Jesus. He's looking at Jesus and said, what is truth? Well, truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ. Pilate's looking truth in the eye. And he says, what is truth? But time and time again, Pilate has the opportunity to stand up for what's right or to give in to the crowd. And, and as he tries to, to maybe go in an about way of doing what's right, I don't find any guilt in him, the crowd screams a little louder and Pilate backs down. And it happens again and again and again and again. Sometimes in our lives, when we try and do what's right, the crowd screams a little louder. The pressure is a little heavier. And the question is, what do you decide to do? Because the truth is right in front of you as well. Two reasons I, I believe Pilate's included uh, in the creed, but also, also in the scripture, is it, it gives us a historical context, a historicity of the story of Jesus. We know who Pilate is. Pilate's been established in other places as well. It gives us a timeline. Also, Pilate is key to the story in that he is the one who imposes the death penalty of crucifixion for Christ. And so we get this phrase, suffering under Pontius Pilate. And now we have to look at the, the crucified, dead, and buried. And a part of the crucifixion is the suffering. There's three different ways that I, I believe that we're going to talk about this morning that Jesus suffered there was the physical suffering, there was the emotional suffering, and the spiritual suffering. So why is this important? Why is it emphasized that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried? Because I'm sure you've heard this before, right? Jesus, I, I know this, I've been to church, or even if I haven't been to church, I, I know of this Jesus person, and I know that he died. But if you remember... When we were talking about how the Gnostics had tried to infiltrate Christianity, Gnosticism didn't believe that Jesus, being God, would actually die on the cross. There were actually some, some different ideas, and, and we'll get into this next week when we talk about the resurrection and how the resurrection is a proven thing. It's not just something we say and pat each other on the back. The resurrection is a proven fact for multiple reasons. 
But there are some who believe that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. As a matter of fact, maybe his body just almost shut down. But scripture is very clear that Jesus died. But going outside of of Gnosticism, I I think looking at the crucifixion helps us to examine the ugliness of our own sin. And the amazing power of God's love. You know, last week we talked about how we live in this Genesis 3 world, right? So God created everything and it was good, and then man sinned, right? Man sinned, brought sin into the world, and now there is a curse under mankind, which could only... Be lifted with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But see, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that he was going to come and die. He knew that he was going to have to suffer. In Luke 9, 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. This wasn't a surprise to Jesus, right? He's the God-man. He knows everything. He knew what he was coming to do. But let's look a little bit at the crucifixion in Matthew chapter 27. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. Jesus had already been beaten as we had looked before, and we'll talk about this in a minute when we get to the point of the physical suffering. But he had already been beaten, he's carrying his cross, and he gets to the point where he can no longer carry his own cross. And there's this man who's taken by the name of Simon. And they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them, casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in seven days? Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. This this mockery that we continue to see, the worst of humanity displayed. So also chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. And we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. (coughs) And the robbers who were crucified with him were also reviled in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lay my sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. One of them once ran, took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again, and with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. There's a brutality in the crucifixion that sometimes we glance over. 
The reality of it is that the crucifixion is something that is, is very hard for us to begin to even comprehend the amount of suffering and torture and pain that Jesus went through because of you and me. Isaiah 52, 14, we talk about the physical suffering of Christ. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind. The suffering that is seen through the cross shows the horribleness of sin. The nails that were put into his wrists instead of his hands. You know how sometimes we, we see the hand, but the reality of it is that, that this is, is such a brutal thing. It was put in his wrists instead of his hands so that his hands wouldn't slide off the nails while he was on the cross. The idea of him being flogged with the, what we call the flagellum, the whip that was made with bones and rocks that would rip into his flesh with his clothes still on his back. He carries his cross. I and mean, we could go into detail after detail after detail of his suffering. Psalms 22, 14 to 18 gives us a description. It's not on the screen. Let me read it to you. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. The worst form of capital punishment, not only was it an intentional, agonizing form of torture, but it was also constructed to induce the most shame possible for whoever was being crucified. The physical suffering of Christ reminds us and shows us the horrid nature of sin. But Jesus didn't only go through physical suffering. There was emotional suffering as well. Imagine those that you trust dearly, those that you have invested time into, years into, energy into, sweat into those that you have just tried to teach and disciple and develop and something happens and all of a sudden, just like when a light turns on, the cockroaches get in. Now, I think one of the things that we have to, to, to not do this morning is, is become people who, are, who, who, who think that for some reason that we would, we would have been the one who would have been standing up and, and, and fighting against the Roman guards to per protect Jesus. I mean, look at the disciples, the one who saw everything, were sold out, and they fled. He was abandoned by the disciples. Think of Peter. All of the energy that Jesus invested in Peter. And just a little bit before that, Peter said to Jesus, I will die for you. And then he fled. The abandonment. The emotional suffering. But then there's also the spiritual suffering, which I believe was the most painful of all. Beyond 
any physical pain, the weight of sin that was absorbed on the cross is beyond comprehension. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus absorbs the sin of you and me from the past, the present, and the future. Every time that Moses was disobedient, that sin was on the shoulders of Jesus. David and Bathsheba, that sin was on the shoulders of Jesus. The lie that you told yesterday that you don't think anyone will ever know or care about, that sin was on the shoulders of Jesus. Placed on the shoulders of the one who is perfect. And something happens in the Godhead. The first time it's ever been seen, the last time it will ever happen, but there's something that happens where God the Father turns his back on the Son. And we can't come to a complete explanation because we don't fully understand it. But there on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God. He put all the sins of the world on his shoulders and he calls out to God the Father and says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The cross shows us two things. It reminds us of two things, at least. Two things I'm going to mention this morning. It reminds us of the ugliness of our sin. And it reminds us of the great love of God. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the truth is that sometimes we wrap sin up like a present. And uh, it's wrong, but is it, is it really that wrong? And, and we don't really look at it as something that put Jesus on the cross. It's easiest, the easiest thing in the world to do is go from Palm Sunday straight to Easter, right? And to take a little bit of a skip over Good Friday, a little bit of a skip over the cross, because, because that's hard to look at. That's hard to, to process, to think about. How many of you saw the movie The Passion of the Christ? You ever see The Passion of the Christ, right? And you sit there and, and, you, and you watch that and, and, you, and, and tears flow down your face and you just say, I, I can't watch this again. Why? Because it's your sin, my sin, that's put on us. Not only was it sins like murder and abuse, but it was every lie. Rembrandt uh, paints a picture of the cross and uh, a beautiful picture, a beautiful depiction of the crucifixion scene. And what Rembrandt actually does is, is there, in, off to the side, he paints himself at the scene of the crucifixion because you were there. Because it was my sin that put him there. And as we look at that and we, re we reflect on that, the ugliness of sin and how all of that works, we then come to the, the understanding of, of how great God's love truly is. The songs that we sang over and over and over again about the shed blood of Jesus shed for you and me. I want to do a, a little bit of a survey this morning. 
How many of you, uh, just raise your hand if, if, if it's true. How many of you became a Christian before you were 10 years old? A born-again believer before you were 10 years old? All right, put them down. When you were in your 20s, raise your hand. 30s. 40s. 60s? All right. Let me ask you another question. How many of you were homeschooled growing up? How many of you went to a private school? Public school? All right. How many of you grew up non-denominational? Grew up Mennonite? Grew up Baptist, uh, Presbyterian. All right. Did I miss any? Everybody, everybody's gonna shout out there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but, but here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing of the shed blood of Christ on the cross is that it takes you and you and you and me and it takes all of our differences and it says, you know what? Those things. The shed blood of Christ brings us together from different walks of life, from different backgrounds. What unifies us, what brings us together, what we looked at in the study in the book of Ephesians, is that it's Christ that unifies us. Not what age we came to know the Lord, or what point we came to know the Lord, or what our background looked like at one point, but that we became born-again believers at one point in our life. That's what brings us together. That's the beauty of the cross. Is there on Calvary's tree. The price for our redemption was paid. First Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. We were redeemed. When you think of something that's redeemed, there's a price that had to be paid. He paid that price on Calvary's cross. It was paid in full on Calvary's cross, and he said, it is finished. There was no more suffering that Jesus had to go through. That was it. Calvary's cross, it was done. There was a, a poster that promoted a Red Cross blood drive in Oklahoma. And let me, let me read you what it says as we come to close this morning. I gave my blood, and Christ gave his. I gave a pint, he gave it all. The needle is small and sharp. The nails were large and dull. The chair soft and restful, but the cross was rough and painful. The nurses were kind and gentle. The soldiers were cruel and mean. The crowd applauds my sacrifice, but they that passed by reviled him. Mine is for O positive. His is for positively all. Mine at best will pro prolong a life for a while. But his without doubt can save all forever. The cross of Jesus Christ 
is open for any who would come, who would surrender and repent of their sins. And because of the sacrifice made by Christ on the cross, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Despite our differences, despite our our backgrounds, the point in your life where you became a born-again believer, you were welcomed into the family of God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You are forgiven. And we rejoice in that together. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. But that's not the end of the story. As the one preacher says, Sunday's a coming. Sunday's a coming. Would you pray with me? Father God, we ask that you, Father, help us to reflect on the ugliness of our sin. But Father, to rejoice and be confident in the shed blood of Christ. Father, we rest in that. We are not perfect. We can't begin to understand the pain that that Jesus went through, and we can't begin to comprehend your love for us, and Father, we just praise you for that. We thank you for that. Father, may we not take advantage of it. 